0: Hey, team coach Colin here. If you're an athlete, a coach, a performer of any type, you can't just train the body. You got to train the mind. Right now, you can go to my mental toughness training course and learn five mental skills that every top performer needs. Click the link in the show notes. Let's go do it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Master Your Mindset podcast, the spot to get your mind right. You can't just train the body. You got to train the mind. And I'm so pumped for this amazing guest today. We have Eric Wood. He's a person of faith, a husband, a father, a nine-year NFL vet, a first-round draft pick, went to Louisville, just up the road from Nashville, Tennessee, a pro bowler, a broadcaster with the Bills, a podcast with the what, What's Next podcast, and just a person who loves to serve, loves to grow. And we got connected with our good friend, Jordan Montgomery. Shout out to Jordan. But he would. What's up, brother?
1: What's going on, Colin? Tanner, how you doing, brother? It's an honor to be on this podcast. I told you when you became a guest on my podcast that I'm a big fan of this show. We ended the episode uh, on my podcast, similar to how you guys and your podcast.
0: So it's an honor to be here. I'm looking forward to this. I love this, like, home and home. Kind of we swap the guests and hosts, and I love to learn. And I really like this, this phrasing, iron sharpens iron, a rising tide lifts all ships. Get around people who are going to elevate you. Show me your friends. I'll show you your habits. Show me your habits. I'll show you your future. So maybe help us shape your mindset and your habits as a, a kid.
1: Man, as a kid, I came from a um, very loving family. I actually just had this conversation recently, but I didn't necessarily have a family that you know spoke. Uh, a ton of confidence uh, in maybe an athletic sense. It was always like, Oh yeah, you know, you're doing fine. Or, you know, we'll love you anyways, which is funny. Like when my kids get out of the car and my kids are young, they're six and three, but like when they're going to play sports, like we have a set deal and you know, they're young, but it's like, you always try your best. You listen to your coach and you have fun. And like, that's early. And then like later I'll be like, okay, you need to ball out. You need to do this. You need to be prepared. Like, what are we doing to prepare for this Uh, and all that? But, um, you know, my mindset as a kid, you know, it's funny. And anybody that can see a visual of this right now, uh, I have curly hair, you know, as a kid, you just want to fit in. I was always the tallest, the biggest, I got this curly hair, I got this baby face and all I want to do is fit in. It's funny, you get to a certain age and all you want to do is stand out. I, I would buzz my head for most of my life. And it wasn't until I started putting on weight for football towards the end of high school, I was like, man, my head looks small. I need to grow my hair back out. And then you start getting some attention for having this big curly hair as a white dude uh, playing football and basketball. And then I was like, oh, I kind of like this. And so that's kind of my mindset as a kid. And through um, just by the grace of God being exposed to so many different people like yourself, I've gotten into this field of mindset training and performance coaching in this whole nother world of, you know, it's personal development, but it's so much more than that. It's, it's truly trying to master a mindset. And then how do I teach this? How do I bring others in? Because what's the use if just, I know about it.
0: Yeah. Well, Eric, can you tell us a story about uh, an event that maybe shaped you and your mindset as, as, as a uh, kid? Wow. As a, as a kid, that'd be tough. I mean, or, or, or in high school. Yeah. So,
1: um, yeah, I'll say this actually, and this is where I learned the power of habit And uh, pushing through uncomfortable circumstances, what that will do for you. And so when I was a junior in high school, I didn't even start on the football team. And so I played football and basketball. And then for my senior year, I I needed to put on weight for football. I got told by Skip Prosser at a Wake Forest basketball camp, which they were number one in the country at the time. Chris Paul's coming in. It was the summer of 2003. I got told by Skip Prosser that, when I thought I had a really good day, Skip Prosser was the head coach at the time. And he said, Eric, I think you're better suited for a football field. You know, you're going to be a big time athlete. I said, coach, I didn't even start last year as a junior. And so that led me to be like, okay, well, I need to start taking football more serious. So I didn't play for my basketball for my school, my junior year. I just played football. Well, I play, put on 50 pounds, I'm 250 pounds now six, four, you know, same height as I am now, but I ended up playing the full season we win state championship in football. I still don't have a scholarship offer, any scholarship offers for football. Well, in basketball, our high school basketball coach, Joan Schofeld, one of my favorite people in the entire world, he had this orange practice player of the day jersey. Our colors were purple and white. We had this orange practice player of the day jersey voted on after every practice by the guys of the team. Well, we had a lot of college coaches coming around recruiting football and basketball players at my high school in Cincinnati. And so I said, I need that practice jersey every single day so that when the coaches come around, they're like, okay, that dude has a jersey on. If they come again, it's like, wow, he has it again. And it was maybe less about pure production and more like effort in how you were being a leader. So I kept it for the entire season. And what that did was, it made me so uncomfortable to not push myself every single day at practice because I learned it. And prior to that, I would have said, I, I, you know, I tried hard in sports. I tried hard in the classroom, but I didn't give it my all every day. But when there was something on the line that I had to have, I learned that. And so when I went, I finally got a one scholarship offer to the University of Louisville to play football. When I went down to the University of Louisville, I had ingrained in me three months of every single day saying I have to show up I have to give my all I have to get that practice player of the day jersey and so it became really uncomfortable and it still sticks with me with me to this day to not be the top performer in the room and that might not be the most points it might not be the most tackles the most pancakes when I was playing offensive line
0: but like I'm going to be the top performer from a uh effort standpoint that's great well and maybe let's just talk about how do you cope through hardship man because I think COVID has taught us and uh, whether it's your health, whether it's your work, career, marriage, you know, kids, like we all go through adversity. I know you would lost a brother, which is probably very emotional. Um, you got injured, you know, really, you couldn't maybe walk again if you kept playing, had that, had that news and had to, to respond to that, had to pivot your career. So how you've had to overcome adversity, challenge, change, like what, what do you do to get to get through it? You know, I I feel like
1: I'm grounded in the word. I'm grounded in biblical principles and my foundation, which they talk about in Matthew 24. I have that foundation built on rock so that when the winds come, the storms blew and all that, when that happens, I have my foundation built on rock. And I also think in life, it's always important to have perspective. And I'll use this as a time to just tell your listeners who are unfamiliar with me about A little bit about my NFL career, but I was a first-round draft pick to the Buffalo Bills. So come in to Louisville with one scholarship offer, leave as a first-round draft pick. And I played all nine seasons for the Buffalo Bills. Had been extended twice, including before the 2017 season, which would be my last season. Well, if anyone's familiar with professional football from 2009 to 2017, the Buffalo Bills stunk. I mean, it is what it is. They're great now. They're a ton of fun. They're high-flying offense. Josh Allen's the man. Absolutely love that dude, but I was playing in the longest playoff drought in all of professional sports, and so my last year, heading into my last season, we hired Sean McDermott, Brandon, uh, Sean McDermott to be the head coach, Brandon Bean to be the GM. We have new ownership in the Pagoulas and they want to resign me before my last season. What would become my last season? They want to give me a contract extension. Well, I was thinking maybe I could hit free agency. But ultimately, I couldn't leave Buffalo and have them break the playoff street or, God forbid, win a Super Bowl without me. So I re-signed there. I'm the only player on the team to play 100% of the snaps that year, and we make the playoffs. It was absolute elation. If you haven't seen the video on YouTube of us watching The Bengals beat the Ravens to send us to the playoffs. I see Tanner nodding his head. If you haven't seen that video, you got to go check it out. I'm the dude that's about 65 pounds heavier than I am right now, jumping up and down in front of the screen. But our whole team got to watch us break the longest professional, the longest playoff drought in all of professional sports. So we we lose in the first round of the playoffs. And I hate to ever say this because I know you guys are competitors too. But it was truly a win-win game for me because we had made the playoffs. So we kind of got over the hump. But my son was going to be born any second. So I was either going to advance in the playoffs, which would have been incredible, or I was going to be there for the birth of my son, our second child, which I really wanted to do. And so we end up losing the game. And after the season in pro sports, you have to get an exit physical, which clears you uh, to go basically do the off season. But now the bills aren't liable for anything moving forward. So I t- in my exit physical like I said, I'm the only player to play every single snap that year. I said, clear me for the Pro Bowl. I'm good. I'm about to drive home to Louisville. They said, you got some stingers this year. I know you guys are athletes. Like, we all get stingers. Like, in high school, all my buddies got stingers. And they're like, yes, but you never did. And you had a bunch this year. So go get a number on your neck, and you could take off. So get a number on my neck, take off back to Louisville. And I find out while sitting in the delivery room with my wife that my career is over at C2, C3. There is disc and bone sitting into my spinal cord and they weren't sure why I wasn't face down on a field similar to how Ryan Chazier was for the Pittsburgh Steelers, who is still trying to regain full motor function of all of his arms and legs. Like he, they're not sure why. And I got to walk away completely healthy, but I would never play football again. I would never pass a physical. It wasn't a choice to retire the, the, the decision was made for me. I loved football so much. And I appreciated my role with the organization. I appreciated the bills and everything about it so much. I would have truly played to the wheels fell off. Well, God pulled me out when he wanted to. And so where I've dealt with loss in my life prior to that, that was the first thing like to me personally, where something was just completely ripped away from me. And I needed to shift my mindset, period, or else I was going to be down in the dumps. I was going to feel so sorry for myself. So yes, I was grounded in the word at that time. And I had a great group of uh, brothers in Christ and friends and family that supported me through that time. But there, there comes a time where you gotta, where you gotta find some perspective too. And you could do this in a number of ways. I always thought it was so valuable during the season, especially when we would have losing streaks to go down to the hospital and visit families that have sick children and then you really gain some perspective. Mission trips can be extremely powerful. I've done prison mission trips where you get some perspective about man, how lucky were you when you've made some stupid mistake, maybe got in a fight, maybe drank and drove at some point in your life and you just happened to not kill somebody. And and you you have freedom because of it. And I think you can find perspective in so many ways and when I was looking back at that injury it was man, I signed a contract extension before the season and Although it's not all about the money, that 2018 season when I was sitting on the couch watching games, I was the second-highest-paid center in the league. you know. And, and we had just built our dream house in Louisville, and we were going to be there half the time, half the time in Buffalo, half the time in Louisville. Now we have this dream house. I have two healthy children. I've seen what it looks like to not have healthy children in a household and the stress that comes from that emotionally, financially, mentally, relationally. We have two healthy children. Like Get out of your own way, Eric. And use the gifts that God has given you to do something with it.
0: I love that. That's good. I I love that to kind of shift your lens, what you focus on, what you focus on expands. Um, That's a good reminder on that one. Uh, Let me give us uh, some insights, man. You were around the locker rooms of some great players, or you were on the field with some great players. And I'm always curious. I love this phrasing, success leaves clues. So, so what traits did you notice and maybe give it, give us some examples of like some, just elite mindset, elite sacrifice, elite commitments, great teammates. Um, and, and, w- and what you saw.
1: Yeah, I'll give you a few different examples. So <clears throat> one of my favorite people in the entire world is Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I'm so glad that he's had uh, more success and, you know, the whole world's starting to find out a little bit more about Ryan Fitzpatrick now, because for a long time, he was like the NFL's best kept secret. He was a really good player. But as far as a person, it was amazing to me how he could relate to anybody. And that made everybody buy in. And, you know, it wasn't just him sitting with the other quarterbacks at lunchtime and dinner and breakfast. It wasn't him just sitting with other people that looked like him, white from a middle class household. No, I mean, everybody on the team was invited to his house. Like if he had people over for dinner it might be the wide receiver group it might be the dbs it might be whoever and ryan fitzpatrick showed me early on in my career what true leadership looks like and it, to lead an organization and a group of very diverse people you have to relate to everybody and that's not faking it it is just tr- being truly genuine with people and that's where you see ryan fitzpatrick go from team to team he's always a captain and that's not just for show because he's a he is always the captain and people love him. And those teams play harder because of him. And he just has no ego. And so Ryan Fitzpatrick, one of my favorite people ever. Um, I played with very few Hall of Famers. Maybe some will get voted in. Uh, but one that I played with in Terrell Owens, uh, he, he truly already is a Hall of Famer. And I asked him when he came on my podcast, he still thinks he can play. I'm like, well, do they take back your jacket? Because you got to be five years removed from playing pro ball. And, and you'll have to tune in uh, to hear the story on that. But T.O. amazed me because he was in probably year 14 or 15, which is a long time for a wide receiver, especially a big wide receiver, you know, he's 6'2", 230. And so for him to still be running and moving, watching him take care of his body and see that day-to-day sacrifice that it took to play at that level, I asked him on my podcast, I said, T.O., what was your favorite wing spot in Buffalo? And he said, I don't know. I never ate chicken wings in Buffalo. I said, bro, you don't like chicken wings? That's the, where you get the best chicken wings in the world. He said, I wasn't up there to eat chicken. And I was like, boom, that's exactly yeah. it. Like, he wasn't there to eat chicken wings. He was there to be great. And that's mm-hmm. why he's a Hall of Famer, because he's willing to make those sacrifices and just eat exactly what's going to fuel him each yeah. and every day. And that looks different to everybody. But, you know, I could go on the list because even though we had – Bad teams, and and we're recording this on a Wednesday after the Jacksonville Jaguars just beat the Super Bowl favorites uh, betting-wise, Buffalo Bills last week, and I called the game. Even on crappy teams, there's good
0: players. And so I got
1: the experience and and have just so many phenomenal relationships in Buffalo.
0: Yeah. Well, help help me understand blending the discipline, the sacrifice, with, like, also the challenge of, like, loving your, your, your craft was that hard to do? Like, did you love, did you be able to love the process? I think you mentioned early, early on, it was all about grinding and surviving. And and then you can later on, you kind of learn how to enjoy the process more. Maybe you can, you know, years to reflect on the good years versus the bad years when you were, I say grinding versus grooving. So maybe kind of process what, what that was like.
1: Yeah, that's a great question too. And, and so for me, when people often ask like, do you have any regrets from your NFL career? And you know what? It'd be real easy for me to say, like, as I've met people like you guys and you get connected with the Ed Milettes of the world and uh, these guys that have just truly pushed people past their limits, it'd be easy for me to say, like, yeah, I should have uh, done this or that from a preparation standpoint or in the offseason, I should have done this or I should have done this mindset training because I, I wasn't exposed to it at the time. So it's not fair for me to beat myself up about that. One thing I do regret for my career, though, is the fact that for the first likely six years of my career, I played with just so much internal pressure on myself to succeed. And because I'm a first rounder, I have to get this organization to the playoffs and not understanding that, you know, the center plays a one of 22 role, a quarterback plays probably an 18 of 22 role. I mean, (laughs) quarterback play in the NFL, it's the most important position in all of professional sports. And so, Um, I was just playing with so much pressure on myself where I couldn't enjoy the moment. I couldn't enjoy the fact that I was living out my dream, because I had been hurt up in Buffalo, and we weren't winning. And I was kind of in and out of the lineup because of the injuries throughout the first part of my career that I wasn't truly enjoying it. And it took Just, I'm assuming it's maturity. It took just being in the moment long enough to realize, wow, I I have this special opportunity. So I started doing these things. I called them my gratitude drives. We lived about five minutes from the stadium. And in the morning, I would just drive in in silence. And, you know, it's generally dark out. And I don't say that to impress you, just to impress upon you the fact that NFL athletes generally are there early. It's not like like I I talk to preachers about this often. Like everyone just assumes that the preachers show up on Sunday and they work. Eh, two services a week nah they got so many responsibilities it's kind of like an nfl player most of what we do is done in darkness away from the cameras and then you see it on sundays but i would drive in to be dark but you could see the stadium lights about a minute into my drive and i would start off in prayer and then it would just turn into just straight gratitude like wow i mean if you would have said even if I get hurt tomorrow, I can never play football again. If you would have told me when I was 10 years old that this is a possibility, I'd have been blown away. If you would have told me when I entered college that I could be extended by an organization and be a first rounder and all that came with it, like I would take that in a heartbeat, like, Now, quit beating yourself up and caring if you give up a sack next week. Like, who truly cares? It doesn't affect anything. Just go out and play free. And that's when I finally started saying, okay, what am I going to do each and every week that allows me to say I'm fully prepared for this game? I've left no stone unturned. Now let's go lay it on the line. And whatever happens, happens. And that was a total shift in my career. And I started truly enjoying the games again and not just going into a game dreading it. We played much different positions in, uh, in football, Colin, but as an offensive lineman, if we ever get our name called during a game, that's a bad situation. You know, it's a penalty, it's a sack, it's something, a tackle for loss, something bad happens. So you basically play the entire game just hoping that something bad doesn't happen. And so I had to reverse that mindset too, to like, no, I'm going out, I'm gonna dominate this game. And you know what, if something bad happens, it is what it is, but I'm going to go crush this dude.
0: I love it. Well, maybe talk about what, what mindset processes did you learn or did you start to, to, to come to practice, you know, recognizing you can't just do it physically, right? You, you have to have some, and, and a, lot of, a lot of performers, they don't have a lot of training on this. I mean, there's some guys that do what I do. They're in the locker room and they're available. They might do an hour talk a few times, but like, what did you find that worked for you to get your mind dialed in? So one of the first
1: kind of steps in that direction I took was in visualization. And for me, I played center and I was trying to communicate all the protections. It becomes really difficult on third down. You get these crazy blitz looks by the defense. It's something new every week. And I started using visualization techniques and just very subtly dabbling in visualization and, it was crazy how those moments where there's 70,000 people in the crowd, how quiet it seemed in that moment and how slow that final 10 seconds of the play clock up into the snap where everybody's shifting and I got to yell in all different directions, to get everyone on the same page. And then you got to block somebody that, that, that gets paid too. Those moments seemed to slow down for me. So I started using visualization and really it was just podcasts and YouTube videos and just kind of trying to, Bootstrap it and figure it out myself. Um, I also think my self talk got a lot better as my career went on, as opposed to saying, Man, am I good enough to be in the NFL? Am I going to get hurt again? And really questioning myself more. I started speaking to myself. That's great. You are, you're a beast. Be dominant today. You know, and kind of so I played with Marshawn Lynch, beast mode. And, mm-hmm. and I, I learned some of that early in my career. Like, this dude's a beast because he talks himself into being a beast. Like, yes, That's he has so physical attributes, but like he doesn't think if he's at full force that someone can bring him down, like no one. And he'll tell you that, like, no, you, you couldn't tackle me if you tried unless like, mm-hmm. you know, someone's pursuing from the other side, like, yeah, you make tackles because you have 11, but like you couldn't. And so yeah. you yeah. learn those certain self-talk from seeing people do it along the way too. um, I was blessed to have a – I started working with an executive coach before my last season in the NFL, and that's where, like, as an NFL player, you're so used to – as an athlete in general, you're so used to feedback and receiving feedback to create growth. And and being coachable um, is is one of the greatest things that you can bring as an athlete. But, man, when you hire a coach that you pay money to, to really nitpick your life and get some true feedback, man, I learned – a lot about myself and, and I still work to with him to this day. His name's James McParland. He's based out of, uh, California, not far from our man, uh, team honey. So, uh, maybe I had to connect you guys, but just working with him helped, helped me get to a mindset of like a mindset of gratitude, a mindset of preparation, letting it all lay out in the field and then accepting results.
0: Hey, what's up, Master Your Mindset listeners? Colin here, your mindset coach. I'm so excited. You can order my new book, Quiet Mind and Quiet Mind for Kids, right now on Amazon. Get the tools and strategies and tactics that I haven't shared on this podcast. So you get a mental, emotional toolkit to lower nerves and increase unshakable confidence to perform at your best. I got Quiet Mind, which is for teens and adults, and Quiet Mind for Kids, which is for the youngsters. And parents, our kids need tools today to be their best. So go to Amazon right now and get your copy. Yeah. How do we kill the ego when we get feedback?
1: Man, I had someone tell me uh, recently that you got to go to Mexico and do psilocybin treatments and then that'll really strip your ego from you. But man, that's a great question. And, and, And throughout history of my experiences with people, the people that I'm always most impressed by are not are people that combine humility and confidence. and But then it's like, okay, you have to have the certain amount of confidence. Well, where do you does that not become an ego where it's negative? And where do you have a certain amount of humility where you're relatable like Ryan Fitzpatrick, but it's someone that's too humble and doesn't think enough of themselves is not going to be able to perform. So it's that perfect balance of humility, not thinking too great of yourself to where you think you're not coachable that there's no way, to, nowhere for you to improve. I've already arrived and constantly be on that constant growth. So, um, I would honestly like to hear your opinion on this. Um, but for me, I think it's a daily check-in honestly, for me, you know, in the more I, I, tie the every, you know, we tithe financially, but I try to tithe every morning and give the, at least the first 10 minutes of my day to God. And I think mm-hmm. when you're connected, um, to the vine in that way, you're constantly humbling yourself, recognizing there's another power. There's a, there's an ultimate power in control outside of yourself. Um, and, and I, I think in general, by accepting feedback and realizing that others may be seeing blind spots for you and just always just having a posture that you can get better would remove that ego
0: or a perceived ego from the outside looking in. What's your thought on that? Well, it it goes to Carol Dweck's model in Stanford's fix versus growth mindset. And the current head coach for the Bills, you say he would talk about growth mindset. Absolutely. The the, the one year you were there, he was at at the helm. Um, Yeah, I I think about this truth. Winners want to be coached. It's that simple. You you can't get the insights and the growth um, if you just – don't want feedback and you think you have all the answers. And that's also pretty dumb and naive that you think you're perfect. You have all the answers. So I think to humble yourself, but me be more obsessed with, with growth than, than your, your image and, and what people think about you. And also when you're vulnerable and, and sharing about your losses and your fears and, but you're willing to pour into it and ask questions and get curious, like people would rather follow that leader. Yes. So I think ha- modeling those behaviors is going to make us all better. And I, I, I believe that everybody needs two things, a community and a coach.
1: Yep. So 100%. you need
0: someone, someone to pour into you, challenge you, uh, you know, give you some insights, you know, coach you up, but also a community to lift you up and support you. I, I, I say that happiness can't be actualized unless it's shared, but pain, suffering, hardship can't be actualized unless it's shared too. So you can't do it alone. You think you can do it alone and, and be, be more obsessed with, with growth than being right. Yes. I'm with you 100%. And that, yeah. that's kind of
1: been the theme of my last three and a half years of transitioning out of pro ball. It's like, okay, I want to have all the answers. I want to know exactly what this, what's next chapter in my life looks like. But you know what? If every single day I'm growing, if I have the right community around me and I have the right coaches in my life, that can give me honest feedback. And I think one of them is my wife, but I was told early on, if your accountability partner in anything is your spouse or partner, that that's going to lead to, uh, there's going to be a certain level of contempt there. Eventually you're going to learn to re, you'll start to resent them because you're around them too much. It'll be way too much feedback. Um, but, and I'll give your listeners this, because this is one error of my life. So anything that I consider important to me. Now I want to have coaching and I want to receive feedback on it. And I said, you know, the, one of the crazy thing is though, like as a husband and dad, you don't like get that grade. And so someone said, well, what if you could like, why don't you get that grade? And I said, well, from who? And she he said, from your wife. I said, okay. So every two weeks we were doing it every week. And my wife said, all right, look, let's do it every two weeks. Cause we're wired completely different, which makes us best friends and we have such a great time together because we balanced each other out but every two weeks I'll shoot her a text hey I need a score between one and ten how have I been as a dad and husband the last couple weeks no matter what she says and I want negative feedback like I truly want the negative so I can improve but you can't justify anything this isn't like you get the advice and then you fire back well of course I was tired and grouchy that morning because I was working so hard the night before oh because I took I went out with you and your friends the night before to a couple's dinner and I didn't want to go. No, none of that. Thanks, baby. I love you. That's all. That's all I'm going to respond every single time. That also allows for open communication. So I'd recommend anybody out there doing it. It's, it's been a game changer in our relationship. And I've, I've honestly just learned some things that I would have never known. Like for instance, like recently, Hey, like when you come up, my wife does bath time with the kids and I kind of end my day downstairs in my office. Hey, when you come up, like when bath time's over, like, will you at least grab the pajamas and diapers and whatnot? Absolutely. Thanks for letting me know. I had no idea. Thank you for telling me that. And so that just gives gives a great open communication line.
0: I love that. Uh, Let's let's talk about as you moved away from football, I I like to dig into this topic of like self-worth and self-image, how you see yourself. I know you're anchored in Christ, but I think there's a really dangerous slope where we attach our worth and our value to whether it's football, whether it's broadcasting, whether it's your craft, whether it, whatever you're doing it, but it's so hard because you want to win, you, you want to do, do well, but we get born in this trap of getting seduced by our value tied to what we do. That So, so, so how have you, how have you grappled with that?
1: You're so spot on with that. And, you know, I considered myself Someone who didn't have their identity in football. If you would ask me, you know, what what are how do you rank the 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 most important things in your life? I would always told you, you know, faith, then family, then football or friends, and then fun. You know, there's my five: faith, family, football, friends, fun. The five F's. Let's go. But looking back, and how I felt when football got stripped from me, like I would have said like, no, my identity is in Christ. My identity is my family. Yes, I am a football player as well. Looking back, it was so hard for me. And here's how I, I, this is the moment I knew that I had too much of my identity wrapped up in football. I went to our head coach at the University of Louisville at the time, Bobby Matrino. I went to his golf tournament after my uh, career had ended. And it was during the spring. It had been a few months. And I went to his golf tournament. And so many people kept saying, Eric, what are you doing now? Eric, what are you going to do next? And, and yeah, like maybe I was justified a little bit in the fact that like no one was like really, and maybe they just understand how I'm wired knowing I was going to do something next. Maybe I should have taken it as a compliment that they knew that maybe I'd be moving on to something great. But for me to not be able to say I'm a football player anymore and that I truly didn't know like that hurt, like it, it drove me nuts, honestly. And it gave me anxiety for the first time in my life. That man, I, I'm not in control. I don't know what I want to be the best in the world at. Like for when I was playing football, ever since I got to the University of Louisville, I wanted to be the best center in the NFL. Period. That's that's what every day I knew my mission career wise. Well, I didn't know that anymore, and that really, I mean, it really stung. And like I said, I mean, I didn't know what anxiety was, and shoot. Now I'm now I'm positioned to where I can speak into people that have suffered with anxiety. So maybe it was a blessing in that moment that I went through that. So, man, so can, I,
0: can I stop you there and help us? Where'd you feel it? What were the thoughts and, and how, how'd you get like through it?
1: Man, it was just beating heart racing for no reason, feeling like a sense of panic or worry when I'm not truly in a moment that I should be feeling a flight or a fight or flight response. And I started feeling those things and I'm like, what is what is going on? And, and a lot of it was just, I mean, if I'm being completely honest, it was me trying to impress others. The, for the first time I felt in a long, long time, what I'm doing professionally is not impressing this room. And so who am I to speak at the end of this event? Who am I to shake everyone's hand and welcome people and greet people and thank them for supporting the university of Louisville? Like in my mind, I had a certain amount of imposter syndrome for even walking in my shoes because I was no longer a football player. That's what, and, and I didn't feel like my identity was tied to that, but it truly was. And, and that's okay. And, and it's great to recognize it now, you know um, you know, we, we, you, Sean McDermott always says you either win or you learn in life. You never lose as long as you're learning, like to be able to learn those lessons, it's been so valuable for me. And one you know, and uh, I read this in Hank Haney's book. He coached Tiger Woods for a long time. And Hank Haney had uh, alcoholic parents, so did I. And both my parents no longer drink, praise the Lord. It's been incredible for us. But children of alcoholics tend to seek approval from the next generation in whatever they do. And when I read that in Hank Haney's book, it made a whole lot of sense to me because it worked well for me in sports because I always wanted to impress the coaches. And I always wanted that feedback and that positive um, affirmation, but when you're not getting that anymore and you can no longer say, I couldn't say, well, like, Hey, well now I got this real estate career, you know, we're buying buildings in downtown Nashville. Wait till you see these four story bars are going to be, you know, I didn't have anything. It was truly, hey, wow. just it out, and that's when I knew. So how would you, how'd you get through it, man? You know, I think it's something I probably still struggle with, but, I went full other direction for a while and then I started a podcast and I got into go. broadcasting and I was doing, I was on foundation boards and I have my own foundation up in Buffalo that I've had for a while. So I had all those things going. And I met with a guy um, in Louisville, Kentucky. He can he drove in, his name's Greg Taylor. His son plays for the Bengals. Now GT's a great dude. Check that dude out. If you haven't, he's uh, he's in personal development and uh, performance coaching, but I was so excited to tell him everything I had going because for so long as a football player, but now look, look at everything I got going. And he looked at me and he said, E, just be careful, man. There's only so many hours in a day and you'll schedule out those that are most important to you. I've always heard Mm -hmm. you're going to cheat something or someone. And we're, we're generally wired to cheat those that we feel like will stick around. So we'll cheat our family because "Eh, it's okay. If I go on this work trip, like I, I know they'll be here when I get home. Well, be careful because they might not be one day. And so in that moment, I had, I got another gut check because I had realized again, well, now I'm putting my worth in my new jobs. And so it's a constant just realization for me and a constant journey that through podcasts and learning from people and reading and, and pouring into the word of Christ, like through all of that, just constantly trying to remind myself, like, man, I'm enough, whether I'm sitting in my basement, recording a podcast with you, whether I'm taking my kids to school and reading them books and doing that deal, like I'm enough, it's okay. And it's amazing by having that posture, you Mm -hmm. almost create more of an impact because more people want to be surrounded by someone with a posture like that, who's confident in their own skin. I listened Mm -hmm. to a podcast the other day on heart vibrations, like There's science, there's science that like, you know, we always say like, like attracts, like, you know, Mm -hmm. and and, you know, you put out good vibes, you're gonna, you're attract people with the same type of vibes. Like, I think that's Mm -hmm. why we connected so well, you know, the first time we met virtually even, Mm -hmm. but like there's science behind that too. So like when you're comfortable Mm -hmm. in your own skin and you're there just to serve and to try and impact, like you're going to attract a a type of people that, Mm -hmm. that can truly take you to your next level.
0: That's great. And I think also it's important to know who you are and be authentic because you want to attract those people, but how come you lie yourself that you have to be liked by every person, right? That everyone has to approve and be on board with everything. I think that's another thing we can talk about another time, but let's just, as we kind of, kind of wind down here, let's just talk about your transition into broadcasting and then your what's next podcast. So what have you learned about yourself through, through that whole like journey?
1: Yeah, so I actually talked to a lot of guys that are transitioning out now and getting into broadcasting keeps you around the game of football, which you're so used to, but you don't work the coaching schedule, which, you know, you, you've, you're just gone from your family, just way too much in that profession. And I respect people in that industry. And my life has been transformed by coaches. I'm forever grateful just for me personally. And if you play long enough in the NFL and you have enough financial security Try and you know give the broadcast gig a, a shot first because you can only be gone a couple of days a week, but you're still around the game. So it's good for me to have football conversations. You know, I, I always say I have a football 401 knowledge. That's one of my gifts at this point. Like I still want to use that, and I can use that in broadcasting. So I got into broadcasting. I started a podcast because I needed to create some content. Like, I, and I needed to get more fluent in speaking. And then mainly, I was always the one getting interviewed, not doing the interviewing. And so I was not a great question asker and I was not a great conversational starter because I never had to. Every time I ever went to a dinner, ever since I started playing at the University of Louisville, it was someone pelting me with questions in a great way and inquisitive form, but it was, Eric, who's the toughest guy to block? What's your favorite game you played in? Well, I needed to flip the script and learn how to start interviewing people. And so that has paid off for me in a number of ways. And it's, it's amazing. Like you're a phenomenal question asker, Colin, like you, you are, uh, I truly enjoy uh, some of these will be stolen from my podcast, but like you didn't start like that, you know, you develop. And so I needed to develop those tools through the podcast and, you know, the what's next for me. And that's how I end each podcast. Cause I want to know what's next for someone else. My what's next is basically, I want to make the next chapter of my life better than the previous and me and my wife always say that each year has been better than the last like there's been more and more blessings each and every year and even though sometimes there's more storms like one of the years was the year my career ended like that was a really tough time but 2018 that was better than any year we ever had like we had so much fun together we spent time as a family it was great we had our little g-man born in the world still have my sweet princess gracie girl so it's like each year has been better than the last so my what's next like how can i create habits surround myself with people get the proper coaching cultivate the relationships I currently have always keep my number one thing and my faith my family at the forefront like how can I do all that and then just see where this goes because um, I just feel like God into my career when he wanted to and I'm really excited to see that the plans that he has for me and so um, you know I'm fired up with this next chapter looks like for now it's broadcasting and podcasting and some business uh, opportunities, some investments I've made that have been fun along the way. But uh, ultimately, like I'm here to use the gifts and platforms God and Mm -hmm. gifts and platform God has given me to positively influence others, starting
0: with Grace, Garrett and Leslie. I love it. Well, let's talk about, as we kind of conclude your podcast. Tell us about your guests. Tell us about what things, your questions you're asking, the insights, the type of guests you have.
1: Yeah, so I appreciate you letting me plug it. And so it's called What's Next with Eric Wood. And it started off as a journey for me to basically learn from others how to deal with transitions. So it was a lot of big time businessmen, former pro athletes, uh, musicians, whatever it may be like, let me talk to you about your big transitions in life and how you navigate those. It's taken more of a personal development swing in the last year or so. And now I'll have guests like, I mentioned T.O. earlier, but recent guests were yourself. Alex Smith, the former number one draft pick, who's now with Monday Night Football. We had Shooter McGavin We released one with him. I saw that. That was
0: amazing. Thank you. But, like,
1: learn from other people through this podcast. And as I learn and try to navigate this, how I navigate trying to make my what's next in life my best yet, I feel like others will as well as they listen along uh, to my journey kind of on this podcast. But, you know, bring on Sherry McGavin. We're going to have some fun with it. But listening to him talk about captivating an audience and it being completely silent and having him in the palm of his hand in a theater show, like that being the greatest feeling in acting, I was like, wow, that's the complete opposite of football. Like in football, we want the crowd to roar. The ultimate would be a score game-winning touchdown. The crowd erupts. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the exact opposite. I was like, man, that's mm-hmm. that's really wild.
0: I love that. Well, you would man, Bro, I, I love you. I'm so grateful for you. I'm inspired by you. Um, I learn from you, and I'm so excited for what what God's doing for you, for for your wife, for your your kids, and all the people that you that you serve. So thank you so much. Maybe last question for me is kind of knowing what you know now, if you can reflect and give your younger self, whether it's the, that young boy or in high school college or even, when you were just done playing football, what can you say, how would you teach yourself to master your mindset?
1: Mm, that's a, that's a great question. I would say, especially to my younger self, always surround yourself with people that a have your best interest in heart and B are focused on growth and are moving in the same direction as you. I know there's been times in my life where I've surrounded myself with people because we've always hung out or they're having a lot of fun or whatever it may be. And not, I mean, I've been blessed with the world's greatest friends along the way, but to constantly be aware, especially to the generation before me, always be aware of who you're spending the most time with, because you'll become an average of those five people. And if you are constantly putting people in those in, in your top five that are where you want to get to or represent the values you have, Your mindset will be right, and and if you have people in there that go against your value system, aren't in your same direction, it's going to pull at you, and you might not know exactly what it is, but be really conscious of who you surround yourself with. And you know, I could go on a tangent here of you know, master your morning and you'll set up your day. I could go on about being coachable, whether it's your teachers, your coaches, your parents, whatever it is fill in your mind with what you want to show up in your life. Like I, I could say all those things, but you asked for one. And I would say, surround yourself with the right people.
0: That's good. And I wrote down my favorite takeaway from today's uh, conversation was just to master these three words. I'm enough. Mm. I'm enough. What's that? It's tough. which, Which is tough. Yeah. Loving yourself is really hard, but I think at the, at the foundation, where do you find refuge? You know, maybe you're, you know, your faith in Christ, but also you have to be able to, to sit with yourself and say, I love who I am. I love who I'm striving to be. And I don't need to prove myself. It's all about improving myself. So I want us in this podcast for this mental workout to take the words that Eric shared with you, listen to his story, but also to remind yourself you are enough. You don't need to do more to be loved more. Just know yourself, trust yourself, love, serve, and you are enough. Um, Eric Wood, thank you so much for your time. You want to tell us where we can find you
1: yeah so i'm on uh most active on instagram and twitter at ewood 70 um I'm, I, I respond to most messages on instagram hit me up on there i have my podcast what's next with eric wood that's on all plat, uh podcast platforms i have a website that's currently under construction but we're rolling soon ericwoodmedia.com um and you can kind of get it, all the updates uh there hey
0: go bills mafia shout out to my uh, boy Brent up in buffalo you know, Let's working at, at working at a paycheck. The Bills came down to Nashville a few weeks ago, and I spent a lunch afternoon on Broadway. There was a sea of, of blue and red. It was a beautiful thing. It was uh, unbelievable. So.
1: It was truly <laughs> unbelievable. They, they, the uh, tourism folks in Nashville told me when I was checking out my hotel that there was fifty thousand plus Bills fans in Nashville. Well, That's I looked at the stadium, which holds around 70 and it was about half bills half titans so that's 35 so there was 15,000 people at least down there that didn't even go to the game just wanted to be a part of the atmosphere down there which is i mean the bills bills mafia and i say this they've gotten a reputation through a small group that jumped through tables of being this wild crazy party group but it's been amazing to see what they can do philanthropically and how generous of a group they are. I just did a, uh, an event for my foundation in Buffalo last week when I got on the mic. I said, in my experience, people of Western New York are generous to a fault. Like they will give you everything and then maybe not even be able to provide it for themselves. But I said, if, if towards the end of my life, someone said that about me, that would be one of the greatest compliments I feel like I could ever be given. Wow. Because the people of Western New York are just
0: truly unbelievable in how gracious and generous they are. Yeah, huge shout out to the Bills Mafia. Well, thanks, Ewood, bro. It was so fun. And team Money, you know what to do. The body has limits, but the mind is limitless. <music>